Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. Dennis needs hearing aids. After 40 plus years of listening to Kathy, it's like, <laughs> he wants to have the opportunity just to switch it off. Anyway. <laughs> That's why she always sits. Anyway, I'm just going to get myself deeper. <laughs> if, if you've, I mean, if, if you've listened to me over the years, um, you know one of my passion areas is is passion is passion <laughs> is is process is is seeing people move through different stages of their life and as they're moving through these different stages they're actually discovering who Jesus is in a greater way and I was reading this week and um, there's some specific areas that I kind of honed in on and I wanted to go over them and and talk a little bit about them maybe bring out some, some points. Hopefully you leave here with something that is that you didn't have when you walked in in the first place. Is there like woodpeckers already? Good Lord. So one thing we need to be praying for is a new building. Um, and, and, uh, in all seriousness, like we have probably, our lease is up in October. This is a rabbit trail, but that just reminded me. Our lease is up in October, and we do have an opportunity probably to renew, but um, I think it's time. I think it's time. It's time. Reminds me, this is another rabbit trail. When we were youth pastors, and Andrew was still a baby, and he was in, in a carriage, carriage in a stroller, um, and every time I started to talk, he would go, ma, 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 ma. Do you remember that? And nothing has changed. I mean, now it's the woodpeckers. Every time I open my mouth, it's like knock, knock, knock. Anyway, so we do need to be praying for a building. We need to be, we are looking at different buildings. There's not a lot available. However, God has something for us, and we need to actually get out of, um, we, we, we've done really well in the last five years in leaning back and getting used to this place. And it's like, this is like, this is it. And this place is great. It's become a rut. It's become a rut. And ruts not, sometimes ruts are good, especially if you're driving on a mountain trail and, and it's a thousand meters down and the rut keeps you in place. That's good. But we're not in that place anymore. We're actually coming out into an opening and we want to get out of our rut. And it's going to be a faith builder. It's going to be, it's going to be a testimony. And I've been looking back at the words given to us in the past um, about buildings being given to us, buildings being dropped. Hopefully not figuratively or literally, but figuratively. Um, but it's going to be something that happens. And so as a house, let's pray about that. All right. So, rabbit trail one, done, two. Okay, let's back to the center. There we go. Let's look at um, 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read a story. Everybody knows the story. 
but I, I, I just, I love this. And it's the story about David and Goliath. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you because you can read. But I want to highlight a few things. So the story is um, Israel and the Philistines are at war. And they came up, they came up against um, the Philistine army. And if you can picture in your mind, mountain here, and at the base of the mountain is the Philistine army. And then there's over a, there's a valley, and over here is a mountain. And the base of that mountain is the Israelite army. And every day, they'd line up for war. And every day, the Philistines would send out their champion, and it was Goliath. And he was big, and the, and the Bible describes his, his armor as huge and heavy, and he was a big guy, and he was, um, he was just, he was evil. And he was just, Bleh. and for 40 days, he would come and he would taunt the Israelites. He would say things like, why are you lining up for war? You don't do anything. Why are you doing this? You don't do anything. And in the background, while this is happening, David is going from home. He goes home, or he comes home, shepherds. Then his father says, David, take this grain, take some bread, take some cheese to your brothers. Now his three older brothers were soldiers in the army. And for, three, and for 40 days, off and on, it says he would go back and forth. Chapter 17, verse 15, it says, But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep in, in Bethlehem. So this became a way of life for David. David was known to Saul. He was already in, in the court. But then he had duties. He had his normal life. He did things. He went and tended sheep. And while he was tending sheep, he killed animals that tried to get to the sheep. And then there was other things that happened, just daily life. One morning, David wakes up, and his father says, David, take 22 liters of grain, 10 loaves of bread, and a bunch of cheese wheels, and give them to your brothers, and report on how things are going. Now, on that day, David showed up, and it was at the right time, the right moment, that he hadn't observed anything that was out of the ordinary. All of a sudden, Goliath shows up, and starts taunting the Israelites, as was his fashion for 40 days. So if David was going back and forth in this period of time, his timing in that day would have been just perfect for him to hear Goliath. And all of a sudden, upon David hearing Goliath, something twigged in his heart. Something vile was attacking the God that he loved. It was a normal day for David. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just whatever. And all of a sudden, he steps in, and his life is changed. Now, we know what happened. We know that David went in to the, and he said, I, who is this guy? He is mocking our God. He is mocking the Israelites. He is mocking us, and nobody's going to fight him. I'm going to do it. So we know then Saul hears about David's zeal and he takes him into his, into his, into his tent and said, here, you want to do this? Wear my, wear my armor because you need to be protected. His armor didn't fit. David was like 13 or 14 years old and Saul was at six foot, six foot six, big, strong man. 
And his armor was way too big for David. And David said, no, I'm going to do this. And we know that he goes out, picks up stones from the river, waves them out. He killed a bear. He killed a tiger. He killed those lions. Oh, my. And, and he went for it, and, and he did it. He swung, let it go, boom, cut off Goliath's head. The rest is history. The thing is, David didn't know he was going to kill Goliath that morning when he woke up. There was, there was something that happened. He stepped into his destiny by doing the things that he was supposed to do every day. It wasn't a surprise to God, but it certainly was a surprise to David that that happened. And then the rest, we know the rest of the story. We know the story. But my point that I want to make in this, and we're going to go on, is that David didn't know that he would kill Goliath that day. Just like we don't know what God wants us to do necessarily in any given moment until we step into it. There was a couple of things that triggered David was that somebody was attacking his God and maligning his character. How many times during the day do we hear or read or things that go against what we believe and we go, well, that's just the world. That's just whatever. And nothing rises up. And, and this is not, I don't say that to be, to, to, to make a guilt trip at all. It's just sometimes something will happen that will say, not today. Today, I'm going to make a stand. And that's all it is. Part of our process. It's part of who we are. We each, each and every person in this room has a process that God is leading them in. It's our walk. It's Call it whatever you want. But at some point in your doing what God has called you to do, you're actually going to step into your destiny and your life will be changed. Not that your life hasn't been changed already, but it's just going to go back. You know, we talk about the God of suddenlies. We talk about, you know, changing atmospheres. We talk, it, it just requires us to keep doing what he's called us to do, even if it's boring, even if it means just taking out the trash every single day. Doing, doing like, other, like, and this is where we get, we, 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 you know, we talk about testimonies. Does anybody have a testimony this week? And some weeks it's like, no. And is that, dis, is that disappointing? Sometimes, yes. But most of the time I'm thinking we're just going through process. We, we think testimonies have to be a big boom, like this is amazing, like it was great. You know, um, who, Nancy comes up and she, she gets her dream job. And then Linda comes up and she says, it's not as big as a testimony, but this was provided. They're both amazing, Right? But can we testify that I took the garbage out yesterday? Here's a testimony. I was driving to the office last week, and I forgot it was garbage day. The Holy Spirit reminded me, and I went home and took out the garbage. It happened. It, it's true. How did I remember that it was garbage? I don't know. I was driving. And it was down at the end of 27th, and it was like, ooh, garbage day. Thank you, Holy Spirit driver, because I didn't want that to stay in my garage for another week. We, we don't have to be, I was healed of stage four liver cancer. And God, like that's, that's yes. But it's, God spoke to me this week. And I want to encourage people with that. That's stepping in. That's, we don't realize how that, what that's going to do. There's another life change was in Luke 5. Let's look at that. I'm going to change. Luke 5. 
example, on one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the shore of Lake Galilee. There was a vast multitude of people pushing to get close to Jesus to hear the word of God. He noticed two fishing boats at the water's edge with the fishermen nearby, rinsing their nets. Jesus climbed into the boat belonging to Simon Peter and asked him, Let me use your boat. <laughs> it's kind of funny because that, that's not a question. It's like he asked him, it's like, hey, do you mind if I use your boat? It's a, let me use your boat. What do you ask him? Nobody? No. Push off. That's what it says, push off. Push it off the shore. Um, a short distance away from the shore so I can speak to the crowds. Jesus sat down taught the people from the boat. When he had finished, he said to Peter, Now go out in the deep water and cast your nets, and you will have a great catch. Master, Peter replied, We've just come back from fishing all night. Didn't catch a thing. But if you insist, we'll go out again and put down our nets because of your word. So at that point, you know, Peter was, he was primed. His heart was, he was listening to the word of God. He was he was understanding that there was something different going on. He had probably, and this is my own, my own thoughts, he, he had probably heard of Jesus at that point because he was causing a stir. He had probably heard rumors about this, this rabbi that was going around teaching. And so when Jesus came to him, he's okay, this is good. And so when they pulled up their nets, this is verse 6, pulled up their nets, they were shocked to see such a huge catch of fish so much that their nets were ready to burst. They waved to the business partners and the other boats for help, and they ended up completely filling both boats with fish until their boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this astonishing miracle, he knelt at Jesus' feet and begged him, Go away from me, Master, for I'm a sinful man. Simon Peter and the other fishermen, including his fishing partners, Jacob and John, the sons of Zebedee were awestruck over the miracle catch of fish, and Jesus answered, Do not yield to your fear, Simon. From now on, you will catch men for salvation. After pulling their boats to shore, they left everything behind and followed Jesus. Peter didn't wake up that morning thinking, Hey, I'm going to do a career change. He didn't. He woke up that morning, or that night, whatever the time it was to go fishing. I'm not a fisherman. I don't know. Probably was early. He didn't wake up. Point is, he didn't wake up thinking, today's a good day to change my entire life. Today's a good day to give up a prosperous fishing business and following some guy that I had heard rumors of. He didn't do that. But what he did is he lived and he walked into a miracle. He heard the word of the Lord. Whatever Jesus spoke about that day, he heard it. Something triggered in his life, and then he stepped into his destiny. It was part of his process. He was still a loudmouth, arrogant, obnoxious businessman. He had something changed. And we can see his process. We can read about his process. And he stepped into it. He was changed. Let's look at Acts 9. Man, I'm just... Gaining things here. Acts 9, this is Saul. Saul's encounter with Jesus. We know the story. We've read it before. Saul was a Pharisee. He hated the Christians. 
because the Christians attempt, figuratively, his way of life. The Christians said, you don't have to do the law anymore. You don't, you're not under the law of Moses. There was teaching, there was, there was, there was things that were causing hundreds and hundreds of years of change. And Paul was, or, or, or Saul at that point, was caught up in, in a system and he was passionate about it. He was like, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, had, he, had, he knew everything that he needed to be known. And he was, he was passionate. So passionate, in fact, that he went to the, to the, to the, the priesthood in, in Jerusalem and said, give me a letter that I could kill the Christians. That's how passionate he was. And he had a reputation. So on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christian church there and to kill them, and they knew he was coming, he met Jesus. And his life was changed. Let's read a little bit about it. Because it's kind of cool. Let's see. Here's a little story. Verse 3. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven, suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice but could see no one. Saul replied, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. How many, how many of us, how many of you believe that Jesus would never circumvent our wills? <laughs> My sons and sisters. Here's, a, here's, here's proof that he will. He knocked them off his high horse. Basically, okay, slap on the ground, blind, you're going to change. I don't want to change. You're going to change. I'm not going to change. You're going to change. And this is how you're going to do it. Blind for three days. That's kind of like God saying, I need you and I'm going to get your attention. Right? So God's not going to, God's not going to circumvent our wills until he does. Let's just keep it at that. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus. For three days he didn't eat or drink. Couldn't see a thing. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name, Ananias. Ananias answered, Yes, Lord. The Lord said, Go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him in Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands on him to restore his sight. I don't think Ananias woke up that day thinking, hey, I'm going to heal the blind. No, Paul did. Mm-hmm, you're dreaming. So I need to read it again. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. So Ananias is in his room praying. Let's just say, and a vision. The Lord speaks to him. Ananias, get up. Go to the street called Abundance. There you're going to meet somebody from Tarsus named Saul. You're going to lay hands on him because Saul had a vision. Saul had a dream. 
Yeah. But Lord, Ananias replied, thank you. Now that we're on the same track. But Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. The Lord Yahweh answered him. He says, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. Ananias left, found the house where Saul was staying, went inside, and lay hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on this road, has sent me to pray for you so that you may see again and that you would be filled, be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All at once, the crust, a crusty substance that was over Saul's eyes disappeared, and he could see perfectly. He could see perfectly, too. Immediately, he got up and was baptized. After eating a meal, his strength returned. After three days of no eating or drinking, I'd be, I'd be shadow of my former self. Um, with, and this is the key here, verse 20. Within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. That's amazing. He, Saul's passion, he didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to meet Jesus, and my life is going to be changed. He woke up that morning with a mission to do what he was called to do. And that was to keep the religious right. He woke up, and that was his destiny. I am a learned man. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I know what is right. <clears throat> Until he met the one who made him right. He didn't wake up thinking, oh. but he stepped into his destiny with a little help from the Lord. But then he took that same passion, he took that same zeal, an hour after his conversion, went into the temple and said, I was wrong. Jesus is Lord. And then what happened? Those who heard him were astonished, saying amongst themselves, "This not this the Saul who furiously persecuted those in Jerusalem, who called on the name of Jesus? Didn't he come here with permission from the high priest to drag them off, take them prisoners? Saul's power increased greatly as he became more and more proficient in proving that Jesus was the anointed Messiah. Paul remained there for several days with the disciples, even though it agitated the Jews in Damascus. So that line that says, Saul became more and more proficient. Isn't that like Jesus, who Jesus had to grow in favor with God and man? Even Paul, at that point, was still learning. He was, he was, he was, he was only there for three days. But in those three days, he caused such an uproar that the Jews wanted to kill him. So my point is, one day, he woke up, and he stepped into what his destiny really was. The last part of Acts, if you, if you read chapters 25 to 28, gives you an encapsulation 
of Paul's life was the end of his life. I'm going to look at one verse particularly. It's just fascinating to read. You know, Paul was zealous right from the word go. Became a Christian, loved Jesus, was changed, spent his entire life zealous for for Jesus. Living a life not just in word, but in spirit. Because he could cast out demons. He would heal people. He would have, you know, he was shipwrecked a few times. Death and destruction around him, but he stood up and was alive. These are in chapters 25, 26, 27, 28. There's one story where he was he was around the fire in, in Malta, and, and the fire was on, and it was cold, and they were huddled around the fire, and a snake jumped out, grabbed Paul's arm, and he basically hung it there. He tore it off, threw it into the fire, and the people were like, oh, God's going to get him. He's evil because a snake bit him. And when they realized that Paul wasn't actually dying from the snake bite, he's like, oh, he must be of God. Let's worship him. Paul's like, okay, no. But he suffered these things because Jesus said, I'm going to tell Paul of all the things that he's going to suffer for my sake. So it's almost like Jesus gave Paul a picture of his life and said, you're going to actually go through all of this. This is, this is the way. Walk you in it. This is the way. Mandalorian reference. Nobody got it. You got it. You guys. Anyway. So Paul's at the end of his life, and he's and he's and he's he doesn't know it's the end of his life. He's just doing what God called him to do. And at the end, there, let's let's look. So Paul is standing before the king, and this is King Herod the second. If you know history, if you know who King, this is King Agrippa. His name was Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of King Herod the Great, who persecuted the, you know, the Jews when Jesus was around. Um, Paul was brought before King Agrippa. This is his chapter 26. King Agrippa said to Paul, you may now state your case. So here he is, standing before King. A prophecy fulfilled from, from chapter 9. Where Jesus says, this man will stand before kings and priests and disclaim me. So the king said, now the king, you got to realize, sorry. <laughs> the king was evil. He actually, he had an incestuous relationship with his sister, which is mentioned here. He was just, he was, he was of a typical evil king, kind of a monster. So King Agrippa said to Paul, you may now state your case. Paul uh, motioned with his hand for silence, and he began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself highly favored to stand before you today and answer the charges made against me by the Jews. Because you, more than anyone else, are very familiar with the customs and controversies of, among the Jewish people, I now ask for your patience, patience as I state my case. All of the Jews know how I have been raised as a young man living among my own people from the beginning and in Jerusalem. If my accusers are willing to testify, they must admit that they, they've known me all along as a Pharisee, a member of the most strict and orthodox sect around within Judaism. And now here I am on trial because I believe in the hope of God promises made to our ancestors. This is the promise of the 12 tribes of our people, hope 
It's been fulfilled as they sincerely strive to serve God with prayer day and night. So, Your Highness, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. And how should you judge the matter? Why is it that any of you think it unbelievable that God raises the dead? I used to think that I should do all that was in my power to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's exactly what I did in Jerusalem. For I not only imprisoned many of the holy believers by the authority of the chief priests, I also cast my vote against them, sentencing them to death. I punished them, and very often in every Jewish meeting hall, and attempted to force them to blaspheme. I boiled with rage against them, hunting them down in distant foreign cities to persecute them. For that purpose, I went to Damascus with the authority granted to me by the chief priests. While traveling on the road at noon, Your Highness, I saw a bright light, brighter than the sun, flashing from heaven all around me and those who were with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard the voice speaking to me in Aramaic, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are only hurting yourself when you resist your calling. I asked, Who are you, Lord? And, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you to reveal your destiny and to commission you as my assistant. You will be a witness to what you have seen and to the things that I will reveal whenever I appear to you. I will rescue you from the persecution of your own people and from the hostility of the other nations that I will send you to. And you will open their eyes to the true condition so that they may turn from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. By placing their faith in me, they will receive the total forgiveness of sin, sins and be made holy, taking a hold of the inheritance that I give to my children. So you see, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to what I was, was revealed to me from heaven. For it was in Damascus that I first declared the truth. And then I went to Jerusalem and throughout our nation, and even to other nations, telling people everywhere that they must repent and turn to God and demonstrating it with, with a changed light. This is why the Jews seized me when I was in the temple and they tried to murder me. But in spite of all this, I have experienced the supernatural help of God up to this very moment. So I am standing here saying the same thing that I've shared with everyone, from the least to the greatest, for I teach nothing but what Moses and the prophets said was destined to happen, that our Messiah had to suffer and die and be the first to rise from the dead, to release the bright light of truth both to our people and to the non-Jewish nations. That's a lot. He was still just as passionate. It took, you know, we read in Acts just that small thing, and then, and then Paul says, like, this is still Acts, Acts 9. Luke is writing this. But he testified then what, what Paul was saying. Paul took it to the next level. I was there. I witnessed this. And he gives more. This is his commission. This is why he changed. This is why his life was changed. And I think oftentimes we, you know, we come to Jesus and we go, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And it's like, that's good. But what can we do? What can we do? We have to actually have a change in our lives. It changes us from one thing to another. And then that, when that change happens, boom. Paul was changed. And, it's, and we can see it because at the end of his life, he's, he's testifying. So anyway, Festus interrupted Paul's defense, blurting out, You're out of your mind. All of the great learning of yours is driving you crazy. He's thinking that because he's so smart, he's just gone nuts. 
Paul replied, no, your excellency Festus, I'm not crazy. I speak the words of truth and reason. King Agrippa, then he turns to the king, King Agrippa, I know I can speak frankly and freely with you, for you understand these matters well. And none of these things have escaped your notice. After all, it's not like it was a secret. Don't you believe the prophets? Don't you believe the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you do. Agrippa responded, In such a short time, you are nearly persuading me to become a Christian. So this is, there's this guy, this, this king, who's just steeped in, in every vile practice. And listening for five minutes, Paul making his case, he's like, Whoa! Maybe, maybe I could. Paul replied, I pray to God that both of you and those here listening to me would one day become the same as I am, except, of course, without these chains. Chains. Little bit of Paul humor there. The king, the governor, Bernice, that's Agrippa's sister, and all the others got up. As they were leaving the chamber, they commented to one another, this man has done nothing that deserves death or even imprisonment. King Agrippa said to Festus, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been released. But what had happened a few, very, uh, few chapters before, Paul was frustrated and, and claimed his Roman citizenship right to stand before Caesar and proclaim his innocence. And that was, that was prophesied to him by an angel that he would stand before Caesar and, and, and do that. So Paul did that, and he would have been free had he not invoked that right. And so they had to take him to Rome. And so for the next two years, Paul tried to get to Rome. But he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was attacked by snakes. And it took him two years to leave where he was, go across the Mediterranean, and up into Rome. And when he got to Rome, they said, like, you're good. And so you're under house arrest. So Paul had to rent a villa, and there he did a lot of his writings for the different churches. And for two more years, he was under house arrest in his own home. And then he was taken, and I believe he was beheaded. He never did get to stand before Nero. And he was like, hmm, an angel told him he would, but he didn't. That's another story. Well, my point with all this is... Paul remained faithful to the end, to his call. He changed. He had a renewing of his mind. He had a renewing of his heart. And he stayed true to what he knew to be right. We, I believe, as people of House of Hope, people in the kingdom, it's our, I don't want to say duty. I don't have a word for it. It's our... is a good word. Privilege, that's a good word too. It's our responsibility and our privilege actually to lead normal supernatural lives. Taking out the garbage, waking up in the morning, cooking breakfast for the family or whatever, whatever your normal is. Because in that normal, everyday life, there's a miracle waiting to happen. You just have to actually walk into it and see it. We've talked about this a lot in the past. You know, just doing things as the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that's part of it. But don't miss those opportunities. 
David could have missed the opportunity with Goliath simply because he wasn't there on time. Maybe, maybe God wanted him to kill Goliath on day one. But he was not there. Maybe. I'm just throwing it out there. But God will always work with what he has. And so it was on that 40th day that David stepped down and heard Goliath's rants and heard his, his curses. And the entire nation of Israel was, was delivered that day. Simply because he was like, nope, I heard it. I can't. I cannot do something. So it might be in the bank. It might be in the mines. It might be at the college. It might be at Nissan. It might be wherever you're working. But tomorrow you wake up and you go to work, and all of a sudden something is presented to you, and you can take that's our right, that's our responsibility, and that's our privilege. Right? Amen. All right. Let's stand. I'm done. Ministry team, come on up. You guys can Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of His presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.